This week's Major Spoilers podcast is brought to you by some of our Major Spoilers awesome donors. Stephen taught them to be Ninja Teens. Michael Corum leads. Trevor Ivlet does machines. That's a fact check. Eric Steele is cool but crude. My name's Matthew. I'm a party dude. And this one goes out to them. Heroes of the website. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, there once were three nerds from three places with three perfect for radio faces. Though they're shaped quite like pears and have questionable hair, their podcast is pretty much aces. And it's on the air. Welcome to issue 396 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Hope you're having a great week, Rodrigo. Oh, yes. That is what I'm having. You, you, like it took you by surprise. I, I don't know. No, no. that I just don't know how to respond. Are you having a great week without any sort of expletives <laughs> attached to it? <laughs> Matthew, are you having a great week? Um, You really don't want to ask me that question. I, I'm having... Um, but what, what rhymes with testicle kicking? Uh, besticle bicking. Yes. Nothing at all. <laughs> Let me put it to you this way. This is the high point of my week. Actually, it's almost always the high point of my week, but this thus far will continue to be the high point of what will or will not have been my week. Let's see if we can change that with some news. More Ninja Turtle talk. Very nope. expensive Batman bobbleheads, more Batman porn on the way, and a brand new Doctor Who companion, which means Matthew no longer gets to ogle Amy Pond. I think he gets to for half a season. Oh, for half a season. And there it stops. Got a broken thing. <laughs> Doctor, Sorry, doctor, getting a it new. Have, it didn't know when to stop. The doctor gets a new companion next year. As seasons or series seven kicks off, we will be able to see the uh, the winning combo of Amy and Rory for about four episodes. I want to say, mm-hmm. and then right around the Christmas episode, we will get our first look at the new Doctor companion being played by Jenna Louise Coleman, uh, who's been cast as the, as the uh, Time Lord's new companion in the series, who will then become a regular after uh, the Christmas special. Um, let's see. This uh, comes from uh, Moffat, uh, the producer of the series. It always seems impossible when you start casting these parts, but when we saw Matt and Jenna together, we knew we had our girl. She's funny and clever and exactly mad enough to step on board the TARDIS. Matthew, reactions from you. You're a TARDIS. Oh, um, I don't know. I, I am bigger on the inside. Nice. No. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really have an opinion yet because I feel like it's it's always dangerous because you always want to say, well, this is going to suck. And I remember people wanting to hate Martha. And I remember people wanting to hate um, Framistat. And people wanting to hate Amy. And every time a new companion is announced, whatever it is, we tear it apart and we just, we rip it to shreds like a dog playing with a dead thing. And it it seems to me that right now I've seen two frozen shots of her. She's a pretty young girl with a really tiny nose. 
Yeah. Uh, she looks remarkably like Marianne Summers from uh, Gilligan's Island. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I'll have to actually see her. Um, you know, I, I will miss the the quiet Scottish burr of Karen Gillan, but frankly, for me, you know, this is thirty sidekicks into the game. I'm I'm used to it by now. I still miss Tegan Jovanka. Rodrigo, any thoughts? Uh, we've last seen uh, uh, Jenna in Captain America. Mm-hmm. She had a part in that in that movie, so she's no stranger to being in front of the camera. What, right. What part did she have? A small one. I think she was a girlfriend. <laughs> An irrelevant one. <laughs> she was the shield. <laughs> she was a tree. You may remember her from such wonderful lines as ping, pong. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> certainly not. I think, you know, I, I hate... I try not to be that guy who's like all the time, but my I'm also I'm only gonna go through this once. My deepest hope is that a new companion will mean new storylines, and that I'm not gonna have to see River Song anymore. Oh no, I you're gonna see River Song. Do not like that character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My biggest concern is that he that uh, is it Stephen Moffat. Yep. Is that his name? Loves her so very much that even though the pawns will go away, which were the good part. Of that series, what? that uh, that River Song will stay. Oh, she, yeah, you can't get rid of her after the big reveals last season or last series. You can absolutely, you can because remember, she's backwards. We've already seen the last time she meets the doctor. Once we see the first time she meets the doctor, then we move on to something else. We technically did see that, yeah, we did last see season. that, yeah. Right, but we have to see the first last first time from his perspective. Sorry, right. maybe. Time travel is complicated. You know, I'm I'm curious. Uh, have we ever seen a companion from a... Well, I guess we had, what, Leela mm-hmm. or whatever, uh, from a different time period than, you know, a, a modern time period. Right. Oh, yeah. Lots of... Leela was from another planet. Right. But... Um, the There were a few from the future. Jamie McCrimmon was from the past. He was... Uh, a swordsman from the 1800s. I believe Zoe Harriet, who was a uh, companion at the same time as Jamie, mm-hmm. was actually from the far-flung future, from like the wheel in space or some such sort of thing. So, Not to yeah, mention kind of that he's had, yeah, he's had actual Time Lord companions. So True. He's right. definitely had aliens from other eras. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There have been be... people from the future, people from the past, sometimes both at once. I think it would be interesting if she was a character from the past 1975 you know 1896 Mm -hmm. you know something that would totally blow her mind um and again since we've been watching doctor who for you know 30 plus years right um you know some of that's a old hat to us Mm -hmm. but there are so many people that have just gotten started with doctor who with the eccleston era right and so there's if that I mean there's people who have probably just yeah, jumped in with, with Matt Tenet Smith. or Tenet yeah as well so I think that there's some room to kind of play around with this character instead of oh yeah modern day East End yeah Mo- modern well, modern day girl from London yes I think they need to they need to get away from the 
single female companion uh, model as far as I'm concerned. But I, I think to some degree Rory is a conscious attempt to try and undermine that because mm-hmm. pretty much the ninth doctor was defined by his and I'll go ahead and say it, his relatively inappropriate attachment to Rose. I mean, you're 900 years old and you're dragging an 18-year-old girl around space. That's, you know, wonderful as she may be. And don't get me wrong, she is wonderful. I think that that, that, was, that was a thing and that was an inappropriate thing. And then we went to, instead of them being in love, we went to Martha having the unrequited love. And then we went to, you know toying with the whole thing with Donna where they're not in love and they're clearly not in love and nope, nope, not even a little bit. And then, of course, they did the the relatively brilliant fake out with Amy mm-hmm. where it seemed like she was in love with him, but it turned out she wasn't. And they keep they keep toying with that, you know, as recent as the end of last season mm-hmm. where they had the thing where she's talking about, yes, he's coming to save you and he's he's brilliant and he's ancient and I love him. And oh, yeah, he's your dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we we clearly think or are meant to think that she's talking about the doctor. But I I want to know what happened to the male companions. Where where are the male companions who aren't the boyfriend and the or the sibling or the whatever? I mean, there there have been male companions. The second doctor traveled pretty much alone with Jamie McCrimmon for years, and there was no issue with it. And I don't know. Would, so you would, like you would rather see a, a male, a male companion? I think at this point it would make a nice change of pace. I, I think it would, but I don't know if that would, I mean, I don't know if that would work as, I, well, I'm not saying it wouldn't work. I'm saying it wouldn't come off to the audiences as well as you would think. It seems like since we had a successful pairing of, of Moonlighting with David Addison and, and uh, Maddie Hayes, that... You expect a team in order to generate conflict, in order to generate the extra humor, in order to generate the sexual tension, Mm -hmm. you have to have the male-female teaming. And when it gets into the male-male teaming, yes, you can have some great moments, Mm -hmm. but I don't think – I don't think audiences would would, uh, accept it as much. Mm -hmm. I – I think that it's not that audiences wouldn't accept it as much as that it wouldn't be as um, widely, widely evocative mm-hmm. to everyone. Yeah. I think that you can certainly have two guys in the TARDIS without having any sort of uh, um, sexual tension. I think that you can have two guys in the TARDIS and have sexual tension sure. and mm-hmm. play off of that. But that is not as widely appealing as a guy and a girl with potential sexual tension. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And plus, then you get the whole question of, why is this show going to be nothing but a sausage fest? Where's the female contingent? There is, and that wow. is part of, no, I mean, that's, a bit, you know, people are going to say that. If there's two guys and, you, you know, you don't have any female characters, you know, where does that... Like, where does that leave women in the series? Mm-hmm. They end up being one-off characters. Mm. You know, I mean, there's something to be said for having a female companion. It gives you a female voice to the series. Right. Right. And I think a female voice is a good thing. I think that, to some degree, we've fallen into kind of that the, the trap of potential couples. And honestly, it's it's nothing new. I mean, you can take it all the way back to the fourth Doctor and Romana. 
Yeah, a lot of that, of course, was the, you know, the chemistry of the actors who later married. But the fourth doctor and especially the second incarnation of Romana very much had a, you know, weird, we may or may not be a couple kind of vibe to it. But even in the era of the of the end of the fourth doctor and the fifth doctor, when he had a TARDIS full of young people and he was in more of a of an elder statesman role or kind of a big, you know, a, a, a favorite uncle kind of role or the relationship of the seventh doctor and ace where he was clearly in that that teacher role and she Mm -hmm. was you know she was the female character but it wasn't so much a it it wasn't based on that same sort of quasi-romantic component that i think has been part of the ninth tenth and eleventh doctors run there's always that underlying moment of are we supposed to believe they're a couple and they play with it, sure. And they've, they, you know, they've taken that and kind of turned it up on its head. But, you know, the beginning of the ninth doctor is Rose, who the doctor has a clear affection for. And then Rose's boyfriend travels for a while and neither of them want him around. And mm-hmm. the reason they don't want him around is because he quashes their, their couple vibe. So, you know, when, when Captain Jack comes in, they actually, you know, Captain Jack is positioned as someone who is very clearly sexually omnivorous and just as interested in either of them to make it a quadrangle with only three people. And I'm thinking, you know, it may be five, six years in, it may be time to say maybe that romantic component can finally, and again, I don't know what they're doing with this character, but that romantic component can finally be something that we stop playing with because, you know, we've, we've, we've done that for a while. Let's do something else. So I'm not saying certainly that a single a single female character traveling alone with the doctor is a bad thing. I just feel like maybe I, I want to see some, I want to see some verisimilitude. I want to see some, something new that isn't, uh, she's not Rose. Wait, she is Rose. Oh, she's sort of Rose. No, she's clearly not Rose, you know? And I think what we may get is, uh, she's clearly not Amy, which I suppose is fine given that it's a new doctor. Well, I expect we're going to get that from the, f- fans anyway after her first appearance well she's not going to be any amy pond that's for well, sure this is you're always going to get that you're gonna you're yeah, gonna get somebody very, very... yelling out she's no sarah jane yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yep she's no leela she's no romana right she's no dodo chaplet there Actually, you go nobody nobody Roger ever Gil? says <laughs> you had the uh chance to check take a sneak peek at that trailer what'd you think uh well it didn't feature the new companion no it one. didn't because they've only shot I think they're only up to episode four mm-hmm. in their shooting, and so they cobbled that together from the first four episodes. Right. Uh, it looks interesting. Um, it features the doctor, the doctor holding a gun. Yeah, which and, I thought and, was very interesting. Um, yeah, which is cool. Um, it's funny because I got a, I got an email from someone because I'd mentioned uh, making on Critical Hit. I mentioned making a character based on the doctor for D and D, and somebody's like, "How did you do that?" So I explained to him how I did it, and was like, well, how did you handle the pacifist part? And I was like, the pacifist part of it wasn't a consideration for this character. I mean, mm-hmm. he's a takeoff on the Doctor. He's not supposed to be the Doctor who found his way into a D&D universe. He's a different character. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've seen older versions of, of the Doctor where the Doctor isn't like, oh, no, no, no guns, no guns whatsoever. Right, right, right. You know, I think that's yeah. that's a, like... Well, you gotta remember, the Doctor has had no problem killing off... The Daleks, you know, right? Or you know, and 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 certainly the the modern Doctor, like the you know Eccleston, Mm -hmm. Tennant, uh, Matt Smith Doctors, 
every once in a while blow up entire ships full of people and right. you know there's a big to do about it and they're conflicted and the uh, flavin and whatever right <laughs> but i know that i've seen the doctor literally hit someone yeah, yeah, yeah. like just yeah. go ha yeah and like judo chop someone to, to into a stupor and things like that that's, so that's the third doctor right so so the 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 pacifism part of the doctor is actually either a new concept or a concept that goes in and out as much as him being blonde. It's more of an in-depth take on an older concept. I mean, if you go back, 1984, Resurrection of the Daleks, the fifth doctor, the reason Tegan leaves the TARDIS at the end of Resurrection of the Daleks is because she watched the doctor pick up a gun and start blasting Khaled mutants. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, it's, it's too much. I can't. It, she can't be a part of the adventures anymore because the doctor is all like, you know, blam, 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 shooty McLam, blam. So, uh, hell, the first doctor, the first doctor, I have a lisp, was going to kill somebody with a rock in uh, 1000 years B.C. So I, I think that the pacifist, well, the pacifist thing is a, a more enhanced take on one of the the old elements of the character mm-hmm. but i think that if you if you actually look at it you know davros said it best he doesn't necessarily use a gun he turns his friends into weapons mm-hmm. and that you know that that's not necessarily the actions of a pacifist that's the actions you know of, of someone who's willing to go far 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 beyond to try and you know make sure things stay the way that he thinks things need to be. So, series seven just around series. the corner. I uh, can't wait to see it myself. The nice thing is that uh, BBC America and the BBC will once again be aligned and will be able to watch our shows without uh, having to resort to uh, other method- methods of obtaining our shows from overseas. So that's good. And you can head over to Major Spoilers, find out more about the companion, found uh, find out more about uh, the series seven of Doctor Who. It's all over at Majorspoilers.com. Stick around when we come back. We'll be getting to some reviews. And later in the show, we'll be talking about uh, the uh, uh, what is it? The Reaper of St. George Street. Uh, so stick around. and We'll be right back. How to get a Major Spoilers shout out. If you want to get a personalized shout-out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one, visit Majorspoilers.com. Two, click on the Make a Donation button. Three, donate $10 or more to the cause. Four, sit back and relax and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major Spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 2006. Thank you, everyone, who's donated to Cause. We really, really appreciate each and every one of you. Let's talk about some comics. Let's get to some reviews. Shigs, man. Oh, sorry. All of a sudden, I mistook you for Joel McHale. Uh, Matthew, why don't you kick us off this week with a uh, title from Vertigo Comics? Vertigo. It's the... First issue of Dominique Laveau, colon, Voodoo Child from Vertigo. And the first thing I can tell you about this book is that I got the wrong cover. Because there's a cover that's by the interior artist, and there's a cover that's by somebody entirely different. And as always, I'm really, really, really kind of, you know, shocked and dismayed when you have one cover, you know, you have one thing on the cover, and then you look at the interiors, and it's something entirely different. Uh, interior art on this book is by Dennis Cowan, 
And if you don't know that name, I know he did Green Arrow back in the 80s. He was one of the founding uh, members of Milestone. I believe Dennis Cowan drew most of hardware. But he has a very distinct style, very angular, very kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Impressionistic, I guess, is the better look for it. So I open this book and I'm like, ooh, Dennis Cowan. This book takes place in New Orleans, uh, post-Hurricane Katrina. We open with a girl running through the streets and running and running and running. And there's some magic-y weirdness and there's, you know, a werewolf and there's a, a voodoo priest and there's some sort of scariness going on. And throughout the story, we kind of, you know, build our way into that, that lovely trope of you are actually the, the son or daughter. You're the peer of someone magical. You have a secret life that you did not expect. And it turns out that, of course, you know, based on the name, you'd expect that Dominique Laveau might have some magic in her and that she is the daughter of the legendary, uh, voodoo priestess queen, Marie Laveau. The Queen of Mystery. And throughout this issue, you know, we have those first moments, that that first step on the hero's journey of something weird is happening. We're introduced to someone who refers to her as my queen. So, you know, that Ben Kenobi figure who's going to protect her in her journey into the weird. Strange, strangenesses and magic-y things happen. And throughout it all, I keep thinking how cool the art is. Which I think is, you know, kind of a good thing to, to go through in a comic. The basic, the basic story here is not necessarily, I don't want to say by the numbers because by the numbers has a negative connotation, but it is a very, you know, a, a very specific start. We introduce the character. She's in the middle of something weird that she doesn't understand. The weirdness builds. We get to the point where somebody shows up and explains to her what's going on. And we end the issue with, uh, the big reveal. That something is not as she thought. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. I don't want to spoil it because it actually is a pretty impressive ending. But throughout this whole issue, the, the, the art really kind of overtakes me. And you get to the point where you look at this and you're like, this actually looks like an 18 year old girl running around and, and being built like and, and having the body language and the face and, you know, basically a realistic semi you know young adult or older teenager which is difficult enough to do uh the the character the paladin type character if you will is not quite comic book superhero -y. i mean he clearly has a uniform not necessarily a costume has a big gun has a sword and you're kind of like okay well you know i'm on familiar superhero turf here but all in all a pretty successful start i'm i'm at least intrigued by Dominique Laveau, Voodoo Child, where's the colon? Somewhere in there, number one. And I would like to say something very fascinating. I get to the end of the issue. Do you guys remember Marvel Comics Presents? Sure. Yeah. About 25 years ago? You remember the font that they used to use on the cover? Yeah, I guess. That, that font is the font that they use for the credits of issue one of Dominique Laveau, Voodoo Child. Completely apropos of nothing. That almost got him an extra half a star right there because I was just like, hey, that's awesome. So how many slices of meatloaf did you give it? Three out of five slices of Three meatloaf of for Dominique Leveau. A good start kind of, you know, again, something that, that gives you a little bit of the mystery and gives you an idea of where it's going. It's got, it, well, first of all, there aren't any sparkly vampires and I have yet to see a zombie. So at the very least, it's it's something that 
has elements that we recognize and it's putting them together and hopefully they'll go someplace pretty awesome. Cool. Well, if you want uh, vampires and uh, zombies, new dead wardians mm-hmm. out this week from uh, Vertigo, Vertigo, I think. As well. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, For me, I'm also going to look at a book from DC Comics. Uh, We haven't had a lot of DC coverage in the last couple of episodes, so we figured we'd rectify that with some Vertigo and some Batman. You said rectify. (laughs) Batman number seven, written by Scott Snyder, art by Greg Capullo. Last time we saw Batman in issue six, he had escaped from the Court of Owls and it looked like he might drown, but uh, he indeed makes his way back to the Batcave and Alfred upon which he discovers the corpse of Talon waiting there. And, of course, Batman thinks he's still alive, still uh, recovering from his uh, drug-induced haze uh, that he was suffering and and, uh, his beating that he took at the hands of Talon. But then, um, instead of going to bed and getting some rest, he decides, you know what? Time to start investigating. Go away, Alfred. I'm going to do my thing. So while that's going on, we see the Court of Owls resurrecting a new Talon, not just one Talon, but many of the uh, the assassins for the Court of Owls. Um, it's a good thing that we're in a new universe because the revelation that we find in this issue would certainly have a lot of people up in arms, especially when it kind of retcons the history of a character. But in a new universe, it's perfectly OK. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dick shows up at the scene, wonders what's going on, why he's not allowed into the cave. And Batman saying, hey, this Talon guy, it's your dead great grandfather. What? Dun, dun, dun. Well, how's he resurrected? I, You know, he died years ago. Turns out that um, um, when the children are young, they're brought before the Court of Owls. Uh, they're picked, handpicked, and raised and trained. And uh, one of their teeth are removed and um, a, a, a molar is put in that has a chemical in it that over time saturates the entire body. Mm-hmm. So that when they do die... Uh, All you have to do is induce a chemical or an electrical volt charge to the body and the body resurrects itself. The body never really quite dies. It just goes into a stasis state. So even though uh, this Talon has, quote unquote, died, Mm -hmm. uh, he could be very much resurrected again with another electrical volt and then maybe another chemical bath uh, to get the bodies going. And Dick is just like, whoa, wait a minute. How do I not know about this? Why are you not... uh, uh, telling me this, why did you keep it from me? Oh, I get it. This is Batman once again trying to keep things from us and shut people out. And at which point, Batman punches him in the face, knocking out a tooth. And as Dick lays there, Batman holds up the tooth, and you can see that it is a false tooth. It's a false tooth that uh, was put into Dick when he was a young boy. Uh, turns out that the um, what is it? The Haley Circus that uh, that the Flying Graysons were a part of mm-hmm. is just a front for the talent organization to recruit uh, new talent over the years. And so by coming around to Gotham City every 10 years or whatever it is, that's the way of presenting new uh, potential candidates to be the the, the talent killer. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge revelation. And I and I I think I would have a, a problem with this, if this were the old universe. Right. Because people would be like, this is, you know, way retconning a character in the history of anything that we've known, da 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 uh, But this is the new 52, and I guess we can give them some leeway. I think Scott Snyder is uh, telling a pretty good tale now that we've kind of kicked it into high gear and we kind of see where he's going, and we know that there's this spinoff um, event coming up or this big crossover event coming up. I think people are starting to get on board and the story is gelling, and it becomes very, very interesting at the end 
when the Court of Owls is essentially doing the uh, the witch from Wizard of Oz, where uh, all these Talon uh, assassins are jumping out of the top of uh, of the, the one of their headquarters, and the leader is basically saying, "Fly, my pretties," <laughs> you know, and, and attack Gotham, raise the our our uh, opponents to the ground, kind of attitude. And it's this is really kind of spooky moment where you just see. Granted, we're only seeing a dozen or so, but you feel like there could be more mm-hmm. just spilling out of the top of this tower and taking flight over the city of, of Gotham. And it's a great kickoff to this uh, Court of Owls crossover event where we see each of the different Batman books uh, getting involved in in this part of the saga. You know, at first I really wasn't a big fan of this Court of Owls that has always been in Gotham City and we've never known about it mm-hmm. because – on the surface, it doesn't look like anything in the Batman books have changed in the new 52, except there has been a change in the new 52, especially sure. in the history of Gotham, and which is in itself a character of the DC universe. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I, I do enjoy it now that it's, you know, uh, I forget what it was, issue four or five, issue four really was uh, a pushing point for me in deciding whether I was going to continue the book. But then, like I have mentioned before, Scott Snyder contacted me and said, hey, read it. Read the next issue. It'll change your mind. And sure enough, it did. And from here on out, I've, I've been enjoying this book. Mm-hmm. Can't say the same for Detective Comics, but certainly Batman by uh, Scott Snyder. Art by Greg Capullo. Just wonderful art. Very detailed, moody, got all the right angles that I want to see in an, in an action drama. Mm-hmm. And uh, just really great colors as well. Looks great in a digital format. Uh, I'm giving this one four slices of meatloaf out of five. I enjoyed it that much. Can't wait to see what happens next. So that's me, Batman. DC Comics out last week, also out on digital. Uh, I say go pick it up. Now, Rodrigo, mm-hmm. I'm curious why you continue to uh, whip yourself. Yeah. To <laughs> First of all, we, we know that you uh, love to read Blue Water comics because uh, <laughs> it gives you a chance to go a little insane. Well, all right. First, first off, let me just say that um, Marvel, DC, uh, even Boom, and you know a lot of other companies out there, they've got great stuff, but sometimes they put out crap. Sure, they like do. Just absolute crap. Right. Um, so I'm not... I'm, I prefer not to write off a whole company as, you know, just saying nothing that this company puts out is any good. Sure. I I wouldn't do that, especially because a lot of the smaller companies rotate through talent in a different way and they don't have the same editorial issues that Marvel or But at the same time, the book you're reviewing is Wrath of the Titans, which is the sequel to Clash of the Titans, the remake, which you absolutely hate and despise. I I certainly do. So you're getting a double dose of... It is his the Kraken. Yeah. Um, so I was just going to let this one go. I was just going to not read it, not review it. Right. But when I read the, the information that they sent us, I don't know if this is in the solicitation information. Um, but the, in the, in the information that they sent us, they were like, okay, this is the new clash of the Titans or the new wrath of the Titans stuff. It's for kids, right? Um, and it's a great way to get kid to to have kids learn about the Greek the Greek mythos. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> oh no way! Mythos, it, by the way, is Spanish for myth. Uh, it's well, I, without I, the age, it would be. 
Um, sorry, I'm just being a jackass tonight. Um, we'll move on. So, I thought to myself, well, this could be one of two things: either this person just lied to me because this is not the way that the Greek myth goes, right? Or it is, which then means it contradicts what you see in Wrath of the Titans and Clash of the Titans, because that itself doesn't follow the myth. Right. So I read it, and let's start uh, with it structurally. It's interesting because it's technically a comic, but the word balloons aren't in the comic. Ah, It is a comic book page with panels and gutters Mm -hmm. and everything that you'd expect out of a comic book. Mm -hmm. But... Only the page on the right side. The page on the left side is text, and it's wide, big, like, 16, 18-point text. Oh, really? Yeah, so that it's easier for a kid to read. Mm -hmm. So it's like a pro story within a comic book. Uh, It's a pro story on the left with comic book uh, depicting what's happening on the right. No word balloons, no sound effects, no nothing. Um, You know, full color, whatever you want. It is... Not a story that follows Greek mythology specifically. Say it isn't so. Uh, But here's the weird thing about it. It is closer. I mean, I haven't seen a lot of the Wrath of the Titans stuff. Right. Because I'm probably going to hate it. But it is closer to the original Harryhausen Clash of the Titans (laughs) than it is to the modern Clash of the Titans. Bubo is in it. So Harry Hamlin? <laughs> um, it it does well. It does have a guy with crazy, yeah. with with like kind of wild hair, as opposed to your crew cut Perseus of the of the more recent one. Well, keep in mind too that there is no connection mm-hmm. uh, between what Blue Water is doing and what the movie studio is doing. Oh. The only connection is in the title, and Blue Water has successfully sued the movie studio over that title they've named the movie amazing yes i see well this makes a whole lot more this this, yeah that that does explain why there seems to be no product placement or connection that's (laughs) pretty interesting yeah still not a good way to learn about like it's not just like reading the uh their political power stuff is not a good way to learn about politics. This is not a good way to learn about the uh, Greek myth- to learn about Greek mythology. Yeah. Um, as a book for kids, it's okay, except that it's kind of long winded. Like you don't get to the action until the very end, and then it just kind of ends. Um, I think you know it's going to be a, a trade paperback size, but again, you're only getting half a page or half that of comics and the other half is text uh so i i think that is going to be i don't know if it's going to be a monthly or what the deal is this is a ongoing series right. now this is not you know uh, i'm guessing this was a contained book i was trying to find my right, review right. copy that this is a contained book but they have like in june they have uh wrath of the titans attack of the trojans or something right, like that right. um <laughs> so that's trojan a, man uh, oh, I'm sorry, Force of the Trojans. So they've got mm-hmm. that series, and I'm sure they're going to have some other uh, series as well. Uh, according to the solicitation for this book, uh, it says this is the first in an all-new series of stories aimed at everyone from age three and up. Right. So this is a truly all-ages book. And I, and I can see that. I mean, there's certainly nothing 
nothing objectionable in it other than a little violence, but it's like monster violence, you know. So it's like it's like right. a cool hero fighting a monster kind of stuff. Okay, Arr, I bite you. That's, the, that's monster violence. Yeah, the whole experience was very surreal. The the other thing that I'll point out is that Perseus looked a lot like Disney's Hercules in, oh, in really? design. Yeah, so nice. um, they they changed up the hair. But other than that, it was pretty close. It's it was it, this was a little strange for me. I mean, I didn't outright hate it. I would say I take, wanted to hate it completely, but I just couldn't. Well, kind of. It, it's more like I expected to hate it, but I didn't. Um, just certainly take it with a grain of sand. This is not going to teach you about Greek mythology. Um, because it spends two pages watching Bubo uh do. Aerial maneuvers, which I don't think the uh, the Aeneid went in, went into too closely. <laughs> I did actually. And loud, actually, if Bubba was if Bubba wasn't the Aeneid, the Aeneid would have spent about six pages just talking about yeah. his aerial maneuver. You know, I kind of though did Peppy say dip 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 dip. So if this is targeted at. Mm-hmm. literally ages three and up yeah i could see this being something interesting to my my son sure. the oldest boy sure, sure. uh it's got some this is not bad art no the this art looks good. really good the art is pretty good Bubo's cute the the uh all of the characters are interesting and yes, fun. They are. they're interesting to look at the design for the cyclops which is the main antagonist of mm-hmm. this is fun i mean he's he's cool he's not too scary right but he's a monster and if you're looking at this from a four-year-old, five-year-old pre-reader, you mm-hmm, know, someone mm-hmm. learning to read, uh, you're going to need someone to read it too. And uh, a child may not understand the flow of a comic book format. How do the right, word balloons right. relate to one another? Where am I supposed to read, read next? And this is a nice way where you do have almost like a picture mm-hmm. storybook of uh, what's going on. Yeah, I think I think that this format is fine. I mean, this is a good format. It has legs. It's It's something that could be useful um for getting kids into comics for teaching kids how to read because then you're you can show multiple bits of action to go with your text which may refer to multiple bits of action you know mm-hmm. as opposed to a picture book that just mm-hmm. that usually just has one drawing per page um all in all it wasn't terrible i'll give it i'll give it two and a half slices of meatloaf i mean it's is it Classics Illustrated good? No, 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 no. 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 This, this is, this. I, as I look at this, as I, as I'm going through the pages, um, there, uh, you, there's this you can read series mm-hmm. for uh, new readers, and they come out at various stages, one, two, and three. Stage one is really designed for like a two year old. Very simple words on the page. This is Bubbo. Bubbo mm-hmm. flies. Fly, Bubbo fly. You know that kind of right. stuff. Then you've got the stage two, which gets a little bit more complex in the story where you start introducing. And then then, uh, then Harry Hamlin right. said, take that, Cyclops. Right. Right. And then uh, and then you get into a little bit more story development and cohesion between one page to the next. And then you get into the stage three where the child is supposed to be able to read on their own, right. know most of the words right. that are in there. And then it goes up. I think there's even a stage four where it's this would be like a stage four. Yeah, this would be a stage four in that learn to read uh, series. And uh, stage six, everything is written as a set. Look, look, daddy, uh, it turns out his benefactor was the old hobo from the shipyard. Right. I, uh, 
I, I think the I think the boy would probably Spoiler enjoy this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For something. Uh, God only knows what. I, I think the boy might enjoy this. I, I think he might get a kick out of it. It's mm-hmm. got everything that he that he needs, and it's got the beginnings of here's how a comic book is is mm-hmm. structured. Yeah. I mean, really, and don't underestimate the ability of a child to pick up a comic book and 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 understand it. Because... Oh no, I'm not saying that. Oh, certainly not. I think, but I think, it, I, I mean, I'm not saying this is so that kids will understand comics. I mean, this is a way to use comics to teach kids how to read, right. which I would say comics are not very good at to begin with. To teach kids to read. To teach kids how to read, um, just because. It comics a lot of the time prioritize action over mm-hmm. words, mm-hmm. you know, over text. But this, you are seeing what's happening and you are reading what's happening mm-hmm. and you can, you know, make that connection. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, unless it's like very heavy text box stuff from like the 60s, whereas like there's a text box describing <laughs> yeah, yeah, what's yeah. happening in every panel, you know. Yeah, I might um, uh, I might sit down with a boy and we'll yeah, tackle this and see what happens. See, see what he thinks. I think we only got this today, didn't yeah. we? Or yeah, was, yeah. Uh, or yesterday. Uh, we had it for a couple of days. Okay. Um. So yes. Uh. Wrath of the Titans from Blue Water Productions did not hate it as much as I thought I would. Well, there you go. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> they're turning it around. You know, they did. They did sell off um a bunch of their titles mm-hmm. so that they yeah. could focus on some original stuff, some superhero stuff, and of course their fame stuff. Right. Uh, their bio I thought comics. they sold most of their superhero stuff. I thought they sold like Judo Girl and 10th Muse and all like yeah, that. Yeah, they did, but they're going to still continue with some other uh, superhero titles and then it looks like in yeah. the, the original title series with the Wrath of the Titans. Uh, definitely, I think, Turnip you know, Man. Getting into, getting into the superhero game is difficult, so... Um, companies like Blue Water and, you know, even slightly larger ones, you know, the, the way to get in the game and make strides in comics is to do other stuff, try mm-hmm. to explore other ways in which, you know, you can tell stories through comics. Um, you know, it, it, it you know, uh, 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 something like Boom or Dynamite, that's how they started things. And eventually they got big enough that they could do comics with mm-hmm. the big or, or superheroes yeah. with the big boys and, and mm-hmm. are pulling it off. Yep. That's how Valiant began back in the day, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They started doing licensed Super Nintendo properties back yep. in, like, 91 or some such. Yep. All right, everybody. Those are the reviews that we have read this week. And if you'd like Da-da. to read more reviews, Da-da. head over to Majorspoilers.com. There are plenty over there for you to uh, peruse and to get some recommendations on. In fact, if you're looking for recommendations, uh, something you might want to check out every Tuesday morning that we have on the site, Major Spoilers Staff Picks, where all of the writers for Major Spoilers uh, submit what they are most interested in for the week and why they're most interested in reading uh, that book. And it might give you a good indication of uh, what you should pick up that week especially if you're new into comics or just looking for something new and different to read i think really for me the the best part of the of the staff picks is um check is seeing new number ones for brand new series that i might have entirely missed right right yep i do like that that's half the fun all right the reviews are done which means it's now time to get into the major always with the interruptions with this guy (laughs) yes Yes, indeed, there are. It's time. 
for the millions in attendance and the 21 people who made my 10-hour day a living hell and you know who you are. It's time for a battle royal. It's a tonsorial takedown of epic proportions. Actually, incorrect proportions, but neither here nor there. It's time for the major spoilers. Poll week, 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 week. So this one we got up on the site a little late. I was up in uh, meetings all day today, but uh, it was submitted by one of our listeners. Battle of the Symbiotes. Who would win if in a fight? Would it be Venom? The space alien, or would it be Spawn? Spawn, the hell alien, or as we call him, Venom with a cape. Matthew, go. Well, this is a difficult one for me, because I'm not sure who the winner of of this particular battle is, but I can tell you that I feel very much like I've lost. Uh... Venom, uh, an alien space costume bonded with Peter Parker and probably because of the radioactive spider venom in his veins, turned into a jackal-faced laughing mockery of a man, versus Spawn, who's a guy with shoelaces tying his face together, who used to have uh, a a weird, I don't know if you'd call it like a gas symbol, basically he was halfway to empty. I think that what I had, what I really had to do to make this decision was I had to take all of my snarkery and sarcasm and set it aside and put it up and front not say, <laughs> and put it, get it out of the way, kick it out the door and then say to myself, aside from whatever I may think about artist, creator, Framila, Lamela, Damela, who do I think has the, the most capacity, I guess. And I, I, it, for me, it really came down to one thing. Which of these guys can be stopped by a kid with a boombox? Venom. So I had to choose Spawn because even though Spawn did have that uh, that little uh, gas pump register that was going slowly down to empty, he had considerably more power than what we've seen Venom, even in his current incarnations, you know, utilizing. And Venom, while hard to kill, is pretty much easily incapacitated by fire or high decibel sound or uh todd mcfarlane going to image comics or Hmm. you know any number of things can easily throw venom by the wayside and you know though i'm not particularly a fan of either i lean towards spawn simply because i feel like spawn probably would would throw a lot of power into kicking venom's butt and then spend the rest of the day you know sitting around a dumpster with a guy named eddie I uh I went kind of the opposite way. I just, you know, I went with Venom for the only reason that I figure he could uh detach himself from his current host and bond on to Spawn and thus become the Venom Spawn or the Spawn Venom. Spawn him. Yes, the Spawn him. Spewed him, I believe is what <laughs> the they would call him. Yes. <laughs> and so for that reason I selected Venom for that reason. Now I'm sure that Spawn has some magical powers from hell that can Cause Spawn, him to yeah, uh, get the venom off of him. Likewise, lot. Yeah, well, I th- I think it would just be, <laughs> and that would be the end and of you'd that. Be left with a naked guy with hamburger for a face. So yeah. really and that big is. stitched up, the big stitching down the front from where Batman hit him. So, um, no, 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 it was Houdini. So uh, venom is who I went with, mm-hmm. Rodrigo. I-, I think uh, you know that your last little uh, 
little uh, corollary to to your choice, you know, the fact that Spawn suit might be magical and prevent that is really why Spawn would win and why I've never really liked Spawn because Spawn is <laughs> the poster child for that magical character with completely ill-defined powers. Mm-hmm. It's like whenever Spawn loses a fight, it's clear that it's because he's supposed to lose a fight. Right. And whenever he wins a fight, it's clearly because he's supposed to win the fight mm-hmm. because he's as powerful or as not powerful as the story needs him to be without any explanation ever as to why that is. So that's why he would win well, I, this fight unless he's supposed yeah. to lose yeah, this unless fight. he's supposed to lose the fight. Yeah. And the, you know, it, it should be noted that both of these, you know, if you're looking at the images, you're looking at original Venom and original Spawn. Both of the right. characters are in different states. I mean, Venom right now is hooked up with Flash Thompson, of all people, mm-hmm. and being all super character with grenades. And I believe the original Spawn is now a giant demon called Omega Spawn, and there's a new Spawn. And I believe new Spawn's name is uh, Jean-Paul Valley, if I'm not mistaken. And he has uh, claws on his Spawn suit. Uh, Keith says uh, Spawn has the advantage, advantage of being a demon and not just an alien. This would probably make Spawn the victor. Uh, Mask says uh, in such a fight, only one victor can emerge. The comic book reading public. Cat uh, Halo says I voted for Spawn. You misspelled victim uh, there, son. Uh, Spawn would win this easy unless uh, I was writing it. Says uh, Fool's Mask. Alicia says I went with Venom because Spawn used to have limits to his powers. Uh, old comic fan says I went with Spawn. Uh, he's a dead guy uh, who had returned from hell. Uh, let's see. Law says, come on, everyone knows Spawn had a power level where he could throw planets around. Venom got beat by Quasar in about three panels. This is no contest. And Arbor Day said Planetary America. Matthew, how did the rest of the uh, voting public go this week? What? <laughs> George W. said nothing. <laughs> <laughs> 181 votes at this point in time, 33 and one third percent of the votes for Venom, uh, a very appropriate 66.6 percent leaning towards Spoon uh, Spawn in this particular battle. I, I find that to be particularly entertaining. I'm, I'm kind of cracking up at that. But I think what's most interesting about this is that people are breaking this down to a battle of well, this guy's an alien and this guy's a demon, and clearly demons are more powerful than aliens. I'm like, what? It's a, it's in your in your comic book rock paper scissor. <laughs> demon beats alien. Demon beats alien, and then to beat demon, what? I, I guess you have to have enormous checkbook or something. Yes. But I, I don't even, I don't know. But this, this, this all right, everybody. This is a uh, relatively picture. So yeah, yeah. Slappy can't make his usual remark. Um, this is a relatively new poll. Like I said, it went up uh, late uh, before recording the show. So you have plenty of time to head over there and change the vote. Mm-hmm. Cast your vote for who do you think would win in an all out battle? Venom or Spawn? Spawn looks to be the clear winner right now, but you've got a whole week to cast your vote over at Majorspoilers.com. And we've got a whole bunch. Venom's wrong too. We have Venom. got a whole bunch of people who have called in this week. So uh, sit back, take a listen, and when we return, the Reaper of St. George Street. Stick around. Hey, guys. It's uh, Nate, Olson, Nate Olson here. Sorry, long day. Uh, Colin, to give you my uh, take on the trade paperback of the week, week, the Reaper of St. George Street and the Adventures of Flagler's Few, St. Augustine Ghost Hunters. Um, uh 
I gotta admit though, the uh, I'm you know born and raised in Florida. Uh, love the paranormal. Uh, the book was interesting off the bat to me, to say the least. Um, of course, St. Augustine's only about a three-hour car trip from here, so I've been there a lot of times. Uh, walked the same streets in the book. Um, and Castle de San Marcos. Uh, even done the St. Augustine Haunted Lighthouse tour. Yes, it was awesome. Um, and of course, Henry Flagler has a big rich history in uh, Palm Beach County as well, because he actually haunts his own museum down here. But anyway, um, the story, the William with William, uh, the skeptic from Kansas and his journey into craziness of the afterlife in St. Augustine and looking for love and ghosts in all the wrong places. I uh, really enjoyed the art style, the look and feel of the city um, at night and during the day. It was done really nice. Uh, loved the contrast with the black and white and the scenes uh, that weren't in a panel box. Also, the Reaper's face was simple and very creepy and perfect. Uh, the only thing I didn't care for were the eyes in the characters. The, the no pupil thing doesn't really do it for me. Um, but the cast of characters, the boy, the girl, the pirate, the witch, the comic book guy, which kind of reminded me a little bit of Rob for some reason, and the professor, um, they were great great fit and uh they were introduced pretty much at the right time of the story uh enjoyed the pacing and the timing of the events it, um it was like a smash up between supernatural supernatural ghost hunters and scooby-doo uh bottom line enjoyed the book very much uh easy read great for young readers too um actually giving it to my son to read now um definitely well worth the 12 dollars i paid for it on amazon of course via your link um, you guys have a good night and a great job, and thanks for everything you guys do. Hello, Major Spoilers and the Major Spoilers crew. This is Andreas calling from the far side of the world. First of all, thank you all of you for making another excellent week, and especially to all the guys who contributed to the page without being on the podcast. I mean, you're really doing a great job. This week, I want to quick touch on the new uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, and I really I can't see how uh, Jerry Buckenheimer produced uh, or made movie can hurt the property in any way. I mean, first of all, we get some new epic toys or a new TV series, or, but hurting the property, mm, I don't think it's going to happen. Then, uh, quick touch on the Season finale to uh, The Walking Dead. Season one really lost me. I quit following it. I didn't uh, didn't find it very interesting. It was I didn't think the pacing was very well. Uh, so the second episode, the second season, I haven't really watched that much. But my wife has, has watched it, and I have uh, sitting in the background. I was really beginning to catch on to it. And I think that season three, uh, I'm back in the boat. I want to see what happens in the prison. So uh, thank you for a new week and uh, hope for a lot of other weeks. Thank you. Hey guys, this is Milwaukee from the farms. Uh, I just wanted to add my two cents. Um, don't want to beat a dead horse uh, any further, but I guess I will since I started my sentence out that way. But um, about the, the Ninja Turtles fiasco with uh, Michael Bay, referring to them as alien races. 
Um, I think the problem that I have with it is that, um, yeah, he says that, you know, none of us have read the script, none of us had uh, really any idea of what it's going to be, but I hope he has, and he should have that information. And just like you guys said, um, that should have been a, a well-scripted uh, response from him, and uh, if that's what he says, then all we can do as, uh, as listeners is uh, take it exactly the way he said it. And uh, it makes it even worse that when he comes back with a reply to all the internet hate, uh, is, uh, you know, you, you guys could, should just chill out. Um, you guys don't know. And uh, least he could have done is uh, at least apologize or try to clarify things if what the, the people on the internet are saying is wrong. Um, but there was none of that, and uh, he just wants us to go in good faith and uh, just roll along. Um, and uh, just doesn't feel right. Just doesn't feel like he's he's uh, appreciating the fans of the of the franchise. So uh, that was it. And uh, really love what you guys are doing, and keep it up. Thanks, bye. Hey, major spoilers. It's Paul from San Jose. Wanted to call in to say, I finally caught up to major spoilers. Yay! Unfortunately, I don't have any comments or anything about your next week's topic because, one, I don't remember what it was, but I do remember that I never heard of it or never read it. But I'm sure to love it when you guys talk about it anyway. But I wanted to actually also call in to talk about how I'm currently catching back up on Critical Hit and I heard your podcast episode when you guys played the board game Legend of Drizzt. And I thought I would mention that I think it would be really interesting if you guys, and Stephen may have already had this idea and it might already be kicking around, to do another podcast where you guys play certain games. And I thought I would throw in a few suggestions of some cool games that you guys might want to play. Uh, one of which being Betrayal at House on the Hill, which is kind of like a mixture of like Clue and somewhat the style of what you guys were playing with the Drift board game. Basically, the whole point of the game is you are one to, I think it's six players, and you guys are all adventurers in a house, and as you walk along, you unveil tiles and houses and collect items and collect these things, these cards called omens. And the purpose of the game is to uncover the house as quickly as possible, collect items and omens to help you. And then at a certain point in the game, you do what's called a haunt roll and you determine who the traitor is and then it becomes either a game of how many ever people there are. Say there's four people, it's three against one, or no one's the traitor and you're all fighting someone else, which I think is only like two of the games. But the really cool thing about Betrayal is it's a really good reusable game because in the time that you play Betrayal, there are 50 scenarios. So... In playing Betrayal, you can play one of 50 scenarios 
on either the hero side or the traitor side. So, in essence, playing Betrayal, you technically have the possibility of playing the game a hundred different ways. So, there's my idea. Hope you guys like it. Almost caught up on Critical Hit. I'm going to start listening to Top 5 and probably enjoying that as well. But keep up what you guys are doing, and sooner or later, I will start doing a donation once I get the money. Thanks, guys. Thank you, everyone, who called in. And if you'd like to share your thoughts or comments or want to contribute to the Major Spoilers experience in some way, all you need to do is call our Major Spoilers hotline. Matthew, that number is... 785-727-1939. The Major Spoilers Aliens versus Demons. <sighs> So this week we are taking a look at a new book from, well, I guess it's been out for a while because you can get it up on Amazon. Um, it is from, I think it's Sphinx Comics is uh, is the group. And we are looking at the Reaper of St. George Street. And as you heard, Nate, it has a 2012 uh, copyright. Yeah, I think it's it just came out within the last month, to be honest. Um and what's interesting about this book is, granted, it's put out by a small press. This is put out by Pineapple Press, but uh, solicited through um, uh, Sphinx Comics. Uh, first edition. Uh, I think the interesting thing is we don't always review small pub- publishers. Mm-hmm. Mostly, Not on if, the trades. Yeah, when we look at the trades, yeah. uh, most of the time we focused on DC or Marvel or Dark Horse. Uh, or image, or boom, or dynamite, or you know. So really, really, yes, we do in fact focus on anything and everything. So, and you know, it's it's nice to to drop in on a, a small publisher and see what what they have to offer, and that's certainly what this is. I mean, this really feels like <laughs> this a, is uh, what they have to offer. <laughs> well, uh, this really is. This is certainly a thing they said. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> of all the things I've read, this is one. So Will arrives in St. Augustine, Florida to attend college, and right away he's presented with a city that is older than dirt, uh, one of the first uh, cities established in the United States, and it has a rich history, a rich history full of um, ghosts Blood. and spooks mm-hmm. and yeah. bloods and pirates and death. Beheading. And all sorts of crazy insanity. And so a lot of people, and I don't, I don't know that much about uh, St. Augustine, but as Nate said, uh, the, the founder, um, what's his name, Flagler, um, does appear to haunt a lot of, of his establishments, a lot of mm-hmm. his places. And so this idea of ghosts, and it's kind of interesting that we, you were talking earlier, Matthew, about the voodoo child, uh, in that we normally associate that kind of... Uh, community belief system with the Louisiana, but here we're seeing it in Florida. In Florida, and I found that Florida. very interesting um, uh, in this in this tale. Uh, Will quickly discovers that he, or we quickly discover that Will is a non-believer in these kinds of things. And throughout the issue, or throughout the uh, the volume, we find out why he's a non-believer. And then we also get Holy to meet God. an interesting group of characters. We get to meet. The modern day pirate. We get to meet the history professor. We get to meet the witch. We get to meet ghosts, and we get to meet the girl that Will falls in love with—a girl from Kansas mm-hmm. who has a strange connection to Saint Augustine. And then we learn that ghosts are trying to kill people, or more specifically, <laughs> trying to kill Will's girlfriend. 
But why? Why are they trying to kill Bill's girlfriend? And oh, that is where you... the mystery begins and eventually ends yeah. in that in that big reveal. Uh, I, you know, as I read this, there are a couple of things that struck me right off the bat. Uh, obviously, there are some elements in this story that uh, don't make it an all ages book. I mean, we've reviewed Saltwater Taffy, and that truly is a uh, an all ages book. I knew you were going to mention Saltwater Taffy. Why is that in this book? Just because the it was in black and white. Yeah, the art style. I immediately went. Stephen is going to reference saltwater taffy, as soon but as not, I but the not because of the art style, but because of the way the story is told. And as I was reading it more and more, I was like, okay, this isn't an all ages book, and it's not a seven plus book. I said, this is a young adult book. Mm-hmm. And then as I started to look more, this is rated thirteen plus, so this is actually targeted toward the young adult. And I think when you kind of play that into this is targeted at maybe the twelve to 18 year old and older. But I mean, certainly that appears to me the the key uh, target audience, Uh, the plotting and the pacing of the story kind of falls right within that, that target range. And that's how I feel. Trixie Belden sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Is is that, is that what you got Matthew or not? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I think that going into it, I wasn't sure what to expect. And I started, I was probably maybe 12 or 15 pages in when I started feeling kind of an awkwardness to the the sentence construction that I, you know, mm-hmm. thought initially was awkward, but what it really boils down to is that, you know, the whole thing is put together and it's aimed at someone considerably younger than right. me. Right. Right. Uh the point where the guy's talking about his favorite comic book and it's The Blue Lamp and I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> or his movie, The Master of the Necklaces. Mm-hmm. And as I went through this, it became clear that this is this is probably aimed at the age that I was when I was reading, you know, The Three Detectives, when I was reading these right. type of things. And that, well, for me, it was probably the 12 to 14 range. I'd say these days, probably more 9 to 12. Yeah. Because, you know, people, people were younger when we were kids and also yeah. older at the same time. Yep. And also, you know, I've always been a delayed adolescent. But... All in all, you know, once once you kind of get into a rhythm of things, and it takes about 100 pages before that rhythm really caught me, and I didn't start thinking, mm, what's going on with that? But, you know, it, 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 I, I kind of, once I actually felt like, you know, I was on the same level when I, when I understood what I was expecting from the book, I definitely started to, you know, not, it's not that I didn't enjoy it, but I definitely started to, I think, grok it a little better. Mm-hmm. Rodrigo, what about you? I thought that it was good. No, I, I definitely. I think for me the the first issue was the pacing. That sure, it's pretty fast and it feels yeah. weird. Mm-hmm. Um, feels I, kind of stilted. Yeah, I think because well, you're rushed right through it. Yeah, I mean it's like, oh no, I am new here. Ah, ghosts. Right, 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 right. Um, which which is fine. It's not a a big deal, but I think that that for me was when I was like, oh, this is for kids, right, basically. right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, that's why everything's happening so fast, and that's why the characters are declaring things like, I am eighteen years old. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or first date. I love you. Yeah. Let us kiss now. Yeah. Wing wing wing. So. So yeah, once I once I got myself into that mode, then the story was a lot a, a lot easier to digest. Yeah. I, I think. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was fun. So, uh, what about the story? 
do you like and what about the story <laughs> uh, are, are problematic from your, your point of view, Rodrigo? I mean, here we've got essentially a, a ghost hunter's mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, we find out that and we'll spoil the, well, yeah, we'll spoil the ending. This is a book that's been out. Oh, no. Three for seconds. a short while, three seconds. Um, that we find out that the ghost, the Reaper, mm-hmm. which is a ghost that kills other ghosts, mm-hmm. uh, is actually the great, great grandmother of Will's girlfriend from Kansas. And mm-hmm. so we find out that connection and why the Reaper is specifically after her. We also uh, find out who the mysterious man in black is and mm-hmm. what his connection to the whole uh, ghost and Reaper and and the girl is. And by the end of the book, Will comes to a realization about his family and himself. And we essentially have an open end where we've got uh, the Ghostbuster series and not right. the Ghostbuster series that uh, with uh, Aykroyd and, and uh, the other group, oh, but we're like talking the about with, the Ghostbusters the with, with the, the giant ape. Yes. And the, the yes. weird like chitty chitty bang bang car. Yes. Yes. But not the yeah, cartoon series. Was... But the live action series. Oh, <laughs> <nice>. Ghostbusters. <laughs> yes. Know, with the guy in the Yes. Uh, with the zoot suit. suit. Yes. With uh, Larry Storch in it. Yes, exactly. And that's how it I, felt to me I think by the end. The strength of the book, for me, comes at the same point as its greatest opportunity. And that is that being incredibly genre savvy, there were no surprises for me in this book. That said, there were no surprises for me in this book where all of a sudden it turns out that uh, our main character is an unreliable narrator and kills somebody or, you know, the the wacky game playing comic book guy turns out to be a murderous psychopath or, you know, people aren't being suspended over bandsaws and forced to cut their ex-girlfriend in half to prove who loves her more. There's there's nothing that jumps out and is ugly and antagonistic about the story. Even though, you know, there, there are parts of it, well, there are, uh, I think, three specific story beats that I immediately picked up on. Uh, the first appearance of Victor, I went, yep. The first time they focused on um, the girl's necklace, I went, yep. <laughs> and then you want to the lock where, her? Yeah. Well, and then they, they get to the point where they're, you know, they're like, oh, who could this Reaper be? And I'm like, yup. By the way, that's not a uh, Storage Wars reference. That's an Archer reference. Thank oh, you very okay. Much. But I, I think what I really learned from this story is that you may be a king or a little street sweeper, but sooner or later you'll dance with the Reaper. Yay. Rodrigo, Yay. what about you? Bill and Ted. Uh, there were a few things I like. I like team pictures. So the fact that we have to assemble the gang was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, the Spanish was acceptable. Oh, that's what I was going to ask you. How was the Spanish in this? Spanish yes. was acceptable. I was getting ready to ask about that because there were moments where I was like, well, that doesn't sound awkward to me. Yeah, it's. There's one, the very first thing we see is a little, you could consider it awkward, but then later on when you find out that that guy's actually a ghost, you could see him as maybe speaking more poetically, so it can, it definitely slides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, because people in the yeah. past, aside from being older and younger, also spoke more poetically. Right. Um, right. Antagonistically. Right. It's like when my grandfather said to me, lo, thou art a dullard. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the 70s were like that. 
what I didn't terribly like about it was that you know the characters felt a little two dimensional. Um, and I, you know, I know they have to like explain, like be be very obviously show you who they are so that you can move on with the story and everything right. like that. But it seemed a little the characters seemed a little flat to me. Um, the protagonist was a little whiny, but mm-hmm. it wasn't too bad. Mm-hmm. Um, can can I just say that I was a little concerned about the fact that the only dark skinned character is a criminal? You can say that. Okay, I'll throw that out. It, okay, it's definitely questionable. I was a little bothered by Raven. Mm-hmm. Um, on on the, two the levels. Witch. One, yeah. One in that you know, for all of 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 my talk of being kind of a a wacky funster, there are actually people who you know follow Wicca as their personal you know spiritual framistatory, and having her be such a you know, and again the gamer is a is a stereotype, and the hero is a a stereotype, and the Hunter S. Thompson pirate guy is a stereotype, but having the witch be so, oh, so very 1995 MTV witch kind of threw me a little bit. I, I think she's the character who gave me the most trouble, who wasn't, you know, herself a ghost. I, I You know, for me, I, I didn't... um I didn't hate this story. It just, but I didn't really go over the top with this story because I did feel like uh, things were being thrown at us in a way that seemed odd, maybe for a mature reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when you, like you said, Matthew, about the time you hit chapter six or seven in this book, and you're like, "Oh, this is, yeah, this makes perfect sense now." Then suddenly it no, does click into that bit, and you can enjoy, but you can just yeah. sit back and enjoy it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know what I? I think that this has a potential for, and I, and. And I hope that there are a bunch of young readers that pick this up and read it. Sure. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't have vampires and and mortals making out and doing nasty Wait, things you to said each unfortunately? other. Unfortunately, yeah. Unfortunately, it doesn't have uh, that. Or maybe fortunately, it doesn't have that. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't have that because that means a lot of the age range isn't going to pick up this book. That that age range is past. <laughs> the people who are reading yeah, that's Twilight true. aren't twelve anymore. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, too. they're. Well, and many of them are in their 30s, from my experience. Well, you know, because I think where the greatest potential lies in this isn't in how the story is presented to us, but in where you can take this story outside of the comic. Mm. And this has Mm. the potential to be an awesome property for um, Disney or for Nickelodeon to put on one of their their tween channels. Mm -hmm. And um, you you see what's that... uh, What's that one where the gamers and they've got all the crazy a level? Is it level, level up? up? Yeah, level up. And then they had that one that was the basic mystery files of Shelby Woo. Yeah, or, and there was a another series that was really good, which was essentially Morning Glories for kids. Mm-hmm. And I think it was written by Paul Denny. Uh, and I can't remember if that was on Nick or Toon or what what network that Is was that on. Secret Circle? No, no, no it wasn't Cir- Secret Circle. It was um, uh, Tower Power Tower Rangers Academy. Samurai? Tower oh. Academy. It was really good, um, but it was essentially morning glories without all the crazy violence and killing. This would be would fit right at home with that young adult uh, programming Mm -hmm. that could become a really good series. Um, This isn't CW content. uh, You know, this isn't uh, that age range, but certainly that that, the tweener programming, the tweener programming, I think, would really eat this up. 
Um, and, um, and I'm, and I, so I have hopes for it beyond just the print publication in that, in that light. If there's another volume, I would be surprised. I mean, they certainly open it up that this could be an ongoing series. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that this is kind of that, that's it. That's where it's going to, yeah. that's where it's going to lay, which is unfortunate because yeah. there is, there's a lot of good potential in, in this story. Um, as we look at the art, what did you guys think of the art? The art falls into a weird lacuna between Dan DiCarlo and Fred Hembeck. Mm-hmm. For me, there's way, way, way super cartoony anatomy and, you know, pull and stretch kind of going on where it shouldn't be necessarily. And some of it seems to be an attempt to, you know, actively emulate an animation kind of feel. And parts of it, I, I think are just, you know, an artist kind of feeling their way and finding their steps. There are parts of it where there's some real awkwardness in terms of staging. Anytime two characters try to kiss, it is ridiculously awkward. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the moment where, you know, they, they have that first shot of the Reaper, the white face on the, the big black background. And you're mm-hmm. like, wow, that's disturbing as all heck. Mm-hmm. You know, the character, the character design, I think is probably the strongest part of the art for me. Yeah. I'm 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 not I'm not completely in love with it. It's certainly not a hack job. It's not bad art, but it's I think it's art where if you give this, you know, if you give this art team a couple of 3 years to do this over and over and over, you're going to have something really really unique. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Right now I think what we've got is, you know, a a young artist finding his feet and doing it pretty well, but there are moments that just are particularly difficult. You know, as I, I as, uh, as I read this, I was like, and I know some people are going to say, well, this is, I'm, I'm not going to read this at all, but, but, but listen and, and think this is, I see bits of Bruce Otter style in here mm-hmm. for those people that are familiar with the, uh, the web series, Joe and monkey, there's definitely some of that, uh, style in here as well. And then there was one other that I couldn't really place. And it usually has to do with whenever there's- the, uh, the the comic uh, gamer guy shows up. Every time he shows up, I'm like, what is that style? Where he looks I like one of the characters before? from something positive. Is it PvP? Yeah, yeah. Does he look like the troll no. from? Uh... <laughs> no, not quite. He but, looks uh, like some, he yeah, looks yeah, like yeah, something cat, positive. The fat guy from something positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's um, there's all these different kind of styles that kind of blend in mm-hmm. together that well, create a, this weird there's hybrid. There's a little bit of uh, blondie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, uh, yeah, there's uh, a weird there's a weird Brian Leo Malley vibe here and there. Yeah, here and there, like, but okay. I I think that there's you know this feels like a web comic is what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. in, in the art style. And I don't want that to be a detractor for people, but I, I think it's also an approachable art style and one oh, that's absolutely. easy to digest for, yeah. again, a younger group. Now, granted, it doesn't have rippling muscled superheroes with capes that flow for 15 miles. You know what? That's a good thing, though, because um, I agree. we have seen a lot of independent publishing uh, or independently published books that are trying to do superheroes mm-hmm. and they can't do the coloring they can't do the inking right the way that they do so you look at this and you know we have so many examples of great fantastic superhero art you compare it to this to to, to you know to an independent book and it just doesn't look as good even if the craftsmanship is there it just looks like it was drawn on a paper bag mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. but for this where 
you know, there are perhaps even more examples of a story like this than just in comics, and simultaneously, not that many examples of a story like this within comics. Mm-hmm. Um, you can take it a lot of different places, and the art being, uh, you know, exactly what it is here uh, is actually works for this story. Yeah, I, I think it does too. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing that's really kind of neat, uh, going back to story, is that there's actually a bibliography at the end of this book, mm-hmm. where the author goes through and says, well, here's where all this information <laughs> that I have used in that's the story the thing, the comes from. Ooh. <laughs> oh, bibliography. <laughs> Grover was very upset. No, do not turn the page. There's a bibliography at the end of this book. So, um, final, final thoughts, myself. Rodrigo. Um, this book does a lot of things right. One of which is the Spanish. The other one is actually figuring out what a Kansas area code is. <laughs> um, that was that was interesting. Um, the it's it's a you know we we were uh, cautious of the term by the numbers earlier, but I think this is a by the numbers story. Mm-hmm. It's a nice little uh, ghostly murder mystery um, that is that you can have your uh, 13-year-old read without any, without worrying whether a Rosario vampire is going to show anybody her boobs. Um, I don't know. I haven't read that much of the book. But, (laughs) but you can, you can, you can show this to your kids and and not be too concerned about it. Uh, I think uh, what it doesn't have, or what it has working against it is kind of a, a weird pacing and kind of flat characters. But again, you know that's 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 a, that's that's a minor inconvenience, really, in all this. I think altogether, the whole package, when you look at it, is actually actually comes out as a very positive experience. Okay, Matthew, what about you? Uh, with the exception of the word "very," I would choose a, a slightly less intense modifier. I would say mostly um, a a largely positive experience. Definitely a book that I don't regret reading. Uh, certainly an easier read than some of the things that we've gone through and one that, you know, doesn't leave a bad aftertaste. I think that if they don't do a sequel, it's kind of a shame because they really kind of set this up to have a whole little Scooby gang mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. And I'd like to see, I'd like to see them come back and do other things because they've, you know, they've established that they've done some, some legwork into St. Augustine and the, the city's history of scary, mm-hmm. scary, you know, boogity boogities um as far as the overall would go i would say i'm i'm really thinking that it's it's probably perfect for a younger audience than what you know what you're saying Stephen. i would say probably oh, you really that i would say that you know that eight to twelve crowd i think would love this mm. because you know you've got the the edges of romance but it's kind of a cartoon romance and you've got the edges of scary horror but it's not the kind of scary horror that reminds you that you're a kid it's the kind of scary horror that is exhilarating because it reminds you that you're about to be a grown up or think you are and i say that as a 41 year old man cuz you know hey i can i used to be you mitch and lately i've missed me but more importantly i think it's a very successful in terms of what they do, but it's more successful in terms of what they don't do. Um, not well, actually it probably was a long time ago. Rodrigo once said about tales of the bean world that he felt safe in the hands of that creator. There's a lesser degree of that here where I feel like there weren't any major missteps. This was a very, very well told story. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, it yeah. was something that it, it has familiarity to it, but tropes aren't bad. Mm-hmm. You know, it it wasn't something that I, as an old man who's you know seen every single episode of Tales of the Dark Side, uh, The Outer Limits, and The Twilight Zone, was surprised by. But I again, I'm not the target audience, and I think that this is something that could lead a, a younger person into a full time career of nerdery like we have so yeah i, I would I say really, definitely it's at least it's at least a check it out yeah i uh i really i like this book and i like what the, what the potential is and if there were a whole series of books that were the you know the saint george gang or whatever that they're going to call themselves or the saint augustine gang um the reason why i was hesitant on another one coming out soon is that uh andre for uh, andre fortino who's the uh the writer artist in this is working on his master's at the um university of florida master of fine arts mm-hmm. uh so he's going to be busy with that maybe too busy to be working on another volume unless he can his mfa thesis. yes unless he did this as part of his mfa um, it, you know, it, there are some very nice moments. Uh, the book is 13 plus. I mean, that's what the, the publishers have this rated. I think for some of the more mature themes, like, what do you mean the girl was in love with someone else and killed her husband kind mm-hmm. of issue? Uh, and, uh, so I, I think that may be that line where you push it beyond eight, uh, or 10 and, and it does need to be eh, 12. You know, I, I don't think that that would be a, a big deal. Um, I think there are some characters that if this series were to continue into another volume that could be fleshed out and they wouldn't be as two dimensional. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really think that put this in the front of in front of the eyes of an executive at a network and you would find this be a property that's snatched up for um, for use elsewhere. And then that might give this book even more legs to come on and say continuing adventures of. Right. And, I, and I think that's uh, probably one of the better things for it. So as a property, I love it. I, lo- I, I love the idea behind it. Um, uh, it. It's got some really great moments and the potential to have really good characters. Um, but the, there are some stumbling blocks in this in this first issue in terms so I, of I how the story is being told. You. Yeah. You guys are both nerds and you can probably help me with this. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the first chapter, uh, the the prologue. Mm-hmm. What what is that font? Why does that font look so familiar? Um, I'm look. I'm trying to figure out. I know it's a font that I've worked with before. I know it's one that I used extensively on something. Oh, you're talking about that it? raggedy. It's it's a. I know that uh, fonts uh, fonts. Deluxe or fonts 1000 or whatever it is, they sell that. But yeah, if if you you can, that's a font that I think you can find for free. Yeah, online. So it's a it's a font that gets used a lot. And I remember, like, actually, one of the first thoughts I had about this was, I know that font. You can get it. I know Mm -hmm. where you can get that font for free. It's like a creepy Um, font, an eerie font, something like that. Which, which you know, I was like, okay, I'm not gonna be a jerk about the font because this is a. You know, independent book. You can't afford to make it to have to commission a font for it. It's okay, right? And be aware, Matthew, that we do have the review PDF, and you can uh, copy and paste it into. Uh, <laughs> Hang on, I want you into. Although it won't reveal the it won't reveal the correct font, but you can copy and paste and then run through. You can also go to another site. Uh, I think it's called whatisthatfont.com or mm. identify that font and you can take a snapshot, you know, just do a, a screen capture of that page 
and it'll run through the algorithms to say, well, how does this A look? How does the O look? How's the kerning look? And it'll ask you like we 20 should, different questions create, and then uh, come up with here are the po- potential fonts. That. There may already Google be a goggles where you to click it. We're going to do this. Let's do there, this. There may be one on there. I, I don't have the time, Matthew. Damn so it. please knock it out. We'll certainly uh, license it and distribute it through major spoilers. <laughs> and, uh, and we'll uh, you can have, fun. and we'll give you 20%. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Your mother. <laughs> All right. Uh, that, uh, so uh, Rodrigo, is this a buy it, borrow it or skip it? This is a borrow it, definitely. Okay. I'm going to say this is a buy it for your kids, uh, unless you are a kid, and in which case, buy it for yourself. Matthew, what do you say? You said pick it up. Don't send kids out to buy things. Kids steal. Um, I would say definitely borrow. Okay. That wraps it up for this issue. Thank you for listening, being part of the Major Spoilers experience. Next week, we're going to be taking a look at Axe Cop, Volume 3. Why? Because we know that you love comics written by four-year-olds, and we do too, and we'll talk with you soon. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page Would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew He kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine Be in the Middle East With a king sign throwing soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers It's copyright 2012